0: Excuse me, I'm
2: going to just get by there, a <laughs> <Thanks>, million. <laughs> hey, do you
1: want to go on my shoulders? What? Sorry, do you want to go on my shoulders? Yeah, that'd be unreal,
0: thanks. Wow. 3 celebrates connections made by music this summer. Find out more at 3.ie forward slash music. What's up Pals fans welcome to another episode of the bird calls i'm your host and credentialed member hi
1: this is scott trout ceo of the domestic litigation firm cordell and cordell there are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree the orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change if you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary Talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact
0: CordellCordell.com. 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. ...of the media, Preston Ellis, joined by our friends Kevin Berrios and David Grubb. Today, we're going to have Ali back on uh, again tomorrow. Uh, first of all, Kevin, how are you doing, man?
2: I'm doing pretty well, man. I just got back from a little vacation, feeling all right.
0: Yeah, you were up in Florida, right? Were you in Pensacola?
2: I was which while we're talking about Pensacola, I want to say something that's really weird is that um, I was there trying to watch the Spurs game and uh, league pass had blocked it out saying I was too close to new Orleans. And that's like two States away and where we're going to have our, our uh, G league team soon. It seems like they would definitely have that as a, a place where you could view Pelicans games to help build a regional, uh, you know, a regional presence there. I found that pretty unusual being that far away.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's interesting how how far it expands. I guess they expect uh, our Pensacola faithful to drive to every game. What is that, like five hours?
2: Yeah, it's, th- it's three, but All I mean, right. that's far, you know?
0: Yeah, that's an easy drive to make 41 times per year. I don't want to hear any excuses. Uh, we've also got <laughs> David Grubb on the program who joined us last minute. Thank you so much for popping on in here, David.
3: Oh, no problem. It's always a pleasure.
0: All right, you guys, let's get right on in. Eight wins straight. Uh, Of course, Ali wrote that the Pelicans needed to rise up and meet the challenge, and they did against the Dallas Mavericks last night. And pretty much everybody's talking about the Pelicans right now. We're 10 games over five hundred for the first time in eight years. We've had something like, I don't know, 8 to 10, 15-point comebacks this year, six wins in overtime, 118 points per game, eight games straight. New Orleans is a buzz. National media can't get enough. NBA.com and ESPN have the Pelicans in the top 10 in the power rankings after having them at 15 just a few days ago. And Sports Illustrated has them at number five. That's incredible. This is on thebirdrights.com, according to David Fisher right now. We'll start with Kevin. Just how good are the Pelicans?
2: I mean, they're they're playing incredible. As long as, you know, AD's playing out of his mind the player that we all, you know, expect for him to be and have been expecting him to be consistently – for the last few years, and he's playing that way right now. They're putting him in great situations. They're running a lot of pick and roll, which is a great strength for him. Drew Holiday's continued his incredible play. Miretic was struggling offensively for a while, but he was contributing in you know, like huge ways defensively and playmaking and rebounding. And now, you know, last night a shot was falling again. You know, role player. You know, a role player steps up here and there every game. Okafor was playing great um, until he had to miss a game with an injury. You know, so you know, there's not a team that's really playing a lot better than than this team. You know, you have your two. You know, Drew Holiday has cemented himself as a star in this league and you know a a top guard in this league. And with him and AD playing at their peak right now, I I don't think any team wants to face us.
0: Yeah, definitely. Grub, uh, last night the Pelicans were expected to win and win decisively, and we kind of all clamored for a decisive victory, but that hasn't been the Pelicans this season. These are usually the games that the Pelicans tend to drop, and we saw glimpses of that early in the fourth quarter when the Mavericks got uh, almost back, I think it was 91-87 to 87 at one point when they really closed it before the Pelicans went on that big 10-0 run as soon as Alvin Gentry called the timeout and inserted the starters. what What does it tell you that the Pelicans not only can win the games that they – That they need to win like games against Spurs and and guys who are tightly contested in in the Western Conference playoff race right now, but also stepping on the throats of the guys that they should beat.
3: Yeah, I I thought it was absolutely important that the Pelicans came out and established some dominance, even though they weren't particularly, you know, the early start of the game yesterday, they weren't particularly playing very well and Dallas kind of was dictating the pace, but then you saw the activity really pick up and the hands of the Pelicans on defense. They were getting deflections on passes. They were getting into the lane and creating some really easy scoring opportunities. Um, Like Kevin talked about drew uh, holiday got off at 19 points in the first half. So once they got their aggression going, um, it seemed, again, as they've been able to do over the last eight games, it carried over to both sides of the basketball. When they needed to make some stops, they were able to do that. Uh, when they were a- needed to make some shots, guys made shots, as evidenced by the number of, uh, what, five players in double figures um, in the game. So, you know, it was a well-rounded performance, and that's what you want to see because you can't expect Anthony Davis to go 38 and, and 15 every night. And he didn't do that. He was still efficient, but it wasn't an amazing performance performance, but you saw everybody on the team contribute in some form of fashion.
0: All right, Kevin, the Pelicans have 30 games left. Is that right? Is it 20? Let's see, 36 plus 26. I can do this. They have 20 games left. Excuse me. I was like, 30 sounds like a lot at this point in the season. Kevin, right now the Pelicans are slotted at fourth. We're seeing a couple of uh, dips across the uh, Western Conference, including teams like Utah, who has fallen off after their 11-game win streak. In addition to that, the Spurs have had some bad news with LaMarcus Aldridge's sprained ankle, as well as Kawhi Leonard, uh, reportedly not back anytime soon. How high do you think the Pelicans can climb in the next 20 games?
2: Stuff to say. I mean, well, let's first say that it's possible that the Pelicans have 30 games left if you include playoffs, which I'm sure, <laughs> you know, I have no doubt that we're gonna be in there there. It's just where we're gonna fall now. You know, there's a lot of teams that are playing really well right now, and there's teams that were above the Pelicans that are starting to crumble a little bit due to those injuries. You said um, you know the ceiling could be the the 3 seed but you know I'm kind of expecting around the 4 or 5 seed I would say is what we'll we'll finish with I mean I think you look at um, the rest of the games we have this this year and the way the team's playing you could say you know there are a few games that you would expect us to maybe lose but you could you wouldn't be surprised if we beat opponent every one of those opponents in an individual night you know and uh, I think that it's just that the problem is that there's just too many games and then we have like a, a you know three game in a row sled in there. So it's it's hard to say that um, we're going to be able to maintain the energy level that we're playing with in, in March because of just the heavy amount of games that we have. So it's hard to say that we would get that three seed, but I do think that the three is possible. I wouldn't be so shocked that it that we did if we did get it but i'm expecting more of a 4 or 5 closer probably to a 5 seed with the heavy load we have going forward
0: grub the pelicans right now uh at 36 and 26 are one of the more interesting teams in the nba they've won eight straight uh like we said they've they've got probably a, a top 2 mvp candidate at this point uh you could It it could swing anyway in the next 20 games, obviously, if the Warriors were to, say, win the next 20 games straight or if LeBron was able to get the Cavs back into the one spot. But somewhere, he will inevitably end up in the top five. On top of that, you've got Drew Holiday, who's uh, potentially a, a top five most improved player, defensive player of the year, potential nominee. You've got veterans like... Jameer Nelson, Tony Allen, and Rajan Rondo, who have come to the New Orleans. Big names. You've got all these comeback victories that we spoke of. You've got DeMarcus Cousins, one of the bigger storylines in the NBA. Willie Resign. Then he goes down with his Achilles after arguably his greatest uh, performance against one of the greatest teams in the NBA. Everything is on the line every single night for the squad. You've got Del Demps, Alvin Gentry, Fighting for their careers in New Orleans potentially this year, if it all doesn't work out, you've got one of the bigger trades of the regular season with Meritich coming to town. Explain why the New Orleans Pelicans are the most interesting team to watch in the 2017-18 season.
3: Um, you know I think the Pelicans have you know have overcome so much this season. Uh, I think you have to give credit to Dell Demps. You have to give credit to Alvin Gentry. Um, two people have been really beaten down upon. Uh, over the past few seasons, and and I know I've been a part of that at times. Uh, but, yeah, the the story of this year's team, no matter what the outcome is now, um, because I think what they will – I agree that they will make the playoffs, but I think the story of this team um, is unlike that of many of the teams that we've had in, since the Pelicans arrived in New Orleans. It's such a resilient group. It's such a tough group, and it does remind you in one regard of the Chris Paul, David West-type teams that were really – um, that were fight would fight tooth and nail, even though this team plays at a much faster pace. Um, but to have, like, I agree, absolutely agree that Drew Holiday is one of the most impro- improved players in the league, and I wrote about that today. And that he should, if he's not on a first or second all defensive team, then something's. Is just wrong. Um, it's from people who are not watching games. I mean, he's, he's an impactful player now on both ends of the court. And I think a lot of people, you know, again, we all questioned, not all of us, but I know I questioned, again, the wisdom of giving him $126 million over five seasons. And right now you, you have to say that that was a good deal. Uh, he made a jump in his career in year eight and Anthony Davis is now growing into that role of franchise player, what it truly means to be a franchise player night in and night out. And I think the culture overall within the Pelicans organization is one of those things that could turn the tide, especially with, as we talked, as you talked about with free agents and other uh, prominent players around the the, uh, league, you know, when you have a culture that seems like it wants to win of players that enjoy playing together, uh, and, and that feeling is palpable when you go into the uh, Pelicans locker room. I think it does. Uh, you know, this is a year that could be a baseline year for a franchise that becomes a consistent winner. I don't know if they'll win a championship, but this could be the baseline of of building a winning team.
0: Kevin, Drew Holiday in the past eight games, 26 points, almost eight assists, five uh, five rebounds, shooting 55% from the field, 41% from three-point range. He was struggling with his shot all year long from three-point range, although he was enjoying uh, a career best shooting uh, from Two-point percentage, I don't know what I'm trying to say there. Anthony Davis, of course, putting up otherworldly numbers in the month of February. Everybody knows the stat line by now, 35-13, two-and-a-half, two-and-a-half, 2.2. David Fisher is calling him the destroyer of worlds. And it's clicking for everybody. Darius Miller is back up to his comfortable 44% from three-point range. Miritich enjoyed his best shooting night last night with 24 points, I think, that he's had since maybe his first or second game with the Pelicans. Answer this for me, Kevin. Are the Pelicans better right now than they were against the Houston Rockets one month ago?
2: Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins is an incredible player, so you're taking him out of the mix. And I think they're just playing more to the strengths of the roster that they have now than they were earlier on in the season. And I think they were playing more to the strengths of the roster that they had leading into that Rockets game where we saw – we saw Davis and Cousins working very well. We saw we were we were beating teams handedly then, you know, and then he goes down, and then we have the, the moment uh, have a few-game stretch uh, where we just look desperate and desolate. and then the Miritich trade happens. Boogie inspires uh, Anthony Davis, and he starts playing better. Then we changed the way we started playing, we started running a lot more pick and roll, We've been posting Drew up more. He's been attacking the the post more, playing inside, playing more to his strengths, not using him just as a spot up shooter sometimes. And uh, you know, using Miritich a little bit in that um in that role that Cousins was playing the running place or him around the perimeter and letting Anthony Davis play closer to the basket where he's better. Um so it's hard to say that they're I don't think they're a better team. I think they've just figured out how to play with the roster that they have better now than they did earlier on in this season, figuring out how to play with the roster that they had. I mean, I think going into next year, when you look at having Holiday under contract, having Miritich under contract, having more Hill, those guys under contract, and, and Miritich under contract, um, now you're looking at a team that's very formidable and a team that's proven that they can win and mo- play in multiple styles so that they can build rotations that fit around the players better and run different sets, creating different matchup possibilities for teams, keeping teams guessing. And I think going forward, the future is very bright, especially, you know, we have this tremendous success leading into the postseason now. I mean, we already saw we were able to get guys like Rondo and Ian Clark, and, you know, I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of Jameer Nelson, but a guy like Jameer Nelson or Tony Allen on those, on those deals, those veteran minimum deals with really having shown no success. And now you carry it over with all this success. I mean, you might, you're going to get probably better players on those kind of contracts next year. And then, you know, still Dell has other tools, you know, you can trade a Jensa to get a solid player that's on either a rookie contract or like a, you know, a MLE kind of contract, combine them with somebody else or whatever, make some other moves around the edges. And, you know, you think you looking at this team, if they commit to paying pay the luxury tax, this is a team that's going to be competing. I mean, and if you look at what they said, if you have a team that can compete for a championship, they'll go into the luxury tax. Now we have a team that has potentially the chance to get into the third. Spot in the West. And if you're in the third spot in the West, then you are have a chance at being a championship contender. So, I mean, everything is pointing in the right direction for this team right now.
0: Rob, uh, I want to continue into this line of thinking because it's become a popular storyline for some of the more uneducated uh, national media types in the NBA that the Pelicans are in fact better without boogie. And that's where I was trying to push Kevin to. And when you, when you talk about the the difference be- between the team then and now—it's—it's it's not just the stark difference between having Demarcus Cousins. Obviously, you're upgrading Dante Cunningham with some version of Ameka Okafor, Czech diallo's improved play, Nico Meretich. In addition to that, you're getting more shooting from Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis, guys who are you know, putting up 55 and 56% effective field goal percentage right now. Uh, The two of those guys having more opportunities just means good things for any offense. In addition to that, the team is better defensively in the month of February. They were something like fourth. They've improved their overall number from 29th to 17th overall for the season just in the past 11 games. So Talk about why the team is is, is different. We've gone from seventh in pace to second. It it looks like a very different team in the past five weeks. Can you necessarily say whether the team is better or worse than it was then now?
3: I think the first thing I would say is it's it's different. Um, There are things that they do better now that they did not do uh, when DeMarcus was with the team. And I think ultimately that benefits the Pelicans going forward. Uh, whether DeMarcus resigns or not, and also if he comes back and he's not 100% of what we saw uh, this year. Uh, because now, with pace, I think that the roles have fallen into place. I think they know more about uh, Cech Diallo than they knew a month ago, and they trust him more. That doesn't happen if DeMarcus uh, is still there, logging the kind of minutes that he was. I think you've seen Ian Clark, uh, with his more consistent minutes in the rotation, Well, he's not having a great game every night. He's had many more nights where he's contributed in in different ways. Um, And even with Darius Miller cooling off and Etwan Moore going back to basically his career averages over the last uh, month of of the roles. And I think with Miritich, we didn't know we were the defender that he was going to be uh, and the hustle that he was going to provide uh, at the level that he has. So that's been something that's made them more flexible defensively. Now, impact is as far as pace. Rondo now grub hey, we're having
0: we're having trouble with your microphone again buddy uh, let's let's take a break we'll get back oh, to you man. on that um, in the meantime let's let's move back and let's answer a couple of these questions with Kevin and you mentioned it a bit earlier let's tease it a bit more you mentioned some some free agency options that the pelicans might have going forward and cousins will be back ask the question is it too early to talk free agency and what the pelicans could be doing going forward uh, a lot of talk has been about packaging players like Solomon Hill Eat one Moore for uh, any combination of current players on expiring contracts to give the Pelicans a bit more room going forward into 2019. Uh, but what, what would your plan of attack be? Obviously you're going to have to re-sign somebody like Rajon Rondo and we'll talk a bit more about him. And then you've got some other guys on one year deals. Nico Miritich will be expiring in 2018, 19. What would your plan of attack be going into the free agency?
2: You know, I haven't given that much thought yet. I mean, I'm just enjoying this Season right now. I mean, obviously, I, I think we need to bring, um, Mark's cousins back for sure. Um, I'm not necessarily ready to trade Solomon Hill. I want to see him play. I want to see if he's improved as a shooter. I want to, I know what he brings defensively. And, um, and intelligence wise. So I, I like him as a player. And of course, I like Eton Moore, even though he's been a little bit up and down lately. I still am a big fan of his. And I think you know, getting him more into a role where he's playing more of the two guard more often would benefit him. And I don't, like, I like, I don't have any problems with Rondo, but I don't necessarily think that it's ne- 100% necessary that he comes back next year. I just think if if it's the right fit at the right price, yes. If not, I'm very satisfied with Drew Holiday being the point guard, Etwan Moore playing the two finding some other guys to come in, um, you know, because that three should be a a better situation next year with a healthy Solomon Hill and another year of Darius Miller and whatever else we can add. Um, So I I haven't given it a whole lot of thought. I mean, I don't – I've seen some of the ideas of trades, like people talk about putting together a Jensa and Solomon Hill and a pick to get get Evan Fournier, which is just a player that I – I don't. I don't think he's a bad player. I just personally, I don't really like Evan Fournier as a player, so that's something that doesn't excite me. Um, but I would have to. I would have to spend some time looking at rosters and who's available, who's going to be a free agent, who's going to be on a one-year deal, or who's on a team that has a ha, that maybe wants to tank or, or you know sell off some high-priced players to go younger um, kind of thing. Um, and I just haven't done that yet because I'm just enjoying what we have right
0: now yeah I don't blame you one bit uh like we said the Pelicans haven't enjoyed this kind of win percentage since 2010-11 season that's about seven years from now so I think just winning and being in the playoff conversation is enough uh in the immediacy David Grubb how you doing man I don't know if you
3: can hear me can you yeah, guys you? hear me yeah can hear me so,
0: yeah Uh, The classic Verizon tagline. Uh, Let's let's get back into what you were saying, David. Uh, Just comparing the team, how different it's gotten uh, in the past five weeks. Everybody settling into their roles. Miritich coming in seamlessly. Uh, Talk a bit more about how the Pelicans have been evolving with this new look roster.
3: Yeah. um, Can you hear me? Yeah, you sound great. Okay. OK, just making sure I'm stuck. But, um, yeah, I think that the flexibility that they've learned is going to benefit them in the long run. Uh, I think what you'll see maybe uh, is the, the team maybe incorporate DeMarcus more as a trailer next year than as a primary ball handler bringing up the court. Uh, because I think the pace that the Pelicans are playing at is more uh, aligned with what Alvin has really wanted to do. And with DeMarcus's ability to run possibly being limited next year. I think you'll see them push it more and wait for him on a trail possibly. And with the confidence that a guy like Drew Holiday has earned this year, with taking a step into the upper echelon of guards, not only in the West, but in the league, uh, I think that that bodes well overall uh, for them trying to pair someone in the backcourt. There's going to be, like uh, Kevin said, if if the price for Rondo isn't right and you're trying to ingratiate a guy like Frank Jackson or you go after another point guard in the offseason – there are going to be people who want to play next to Drew, to Drew Holiday. He covers up defensive mistakes. He uh, can, you know, you know he can score. He scores easy baskets in transition, and he's shown um, over the last month to be much more consistent shooting his three. So I think the Pelicans have just found themselves that they are more flexible than they anticipated. And when Solomon Hill returns, you're not you don't have to count on him now to play twenty to twenty five minutes because you're seeing that you can ease him in uh, and find his place. Because enough of the players now understand their roles and are filling them uh, quite well.
0: Kevin, uh, one more question before we move on and just focus solely on mailbag questions. Uh, it was back on January 26th in Marcus Cousins last game where he ruptured his Achilles. The Pelicans were up by 13 at halftime, hung on by two at the end, 115 to 113 with the Pelicans current roster and how they were playing. Uh, if If you travel back in time and play that game again, what do you think the end result is?
2: I mean, I think they still win that game because if you're talking about, wait, wait, are you saying with a healthy cousins or with the current roster right now?
0: I'm saying with the current roster playing the way that it has been in the past eight games.
2: Uh, It's tough to say because you're playing a team like Houston and you're going to be playing a high pace game, which is what they want also. Um, So it's, it's hard. It's really hard to say. I mean, I think if you were to simulate that game a hundred times with, Uh, with both rosters the way they are now, I think probably Houston wins that one, you know, 55 times out of 100. You know, it's it's just going to be close. I mean, Anthony, they they have nobody that can really do anything to stop Anthony Davis, but then you have guys like Harden and Chris Paul, and you have shooters that get hot, like uh, Gordon and Anderson, and then you have Trevor Ariza, who's played pretty well. and now they've added all these new guys as well. They have Joe Johnson. They have all these other guys that they're integrating into their offense. Um, so it, you know, it, it's tough to say. Um, I mean, Miritich is obviously he he does the things that you wish Dante Cunningham would have done, and does them a lot better. Um, and you get to play a different style, but that style is sort of the style that Houston wants you wants to play in. Whereas when you have Cousins and you have Davis, that that's a really tough m- mismatch for them. And that's why I was always excited about that us having that kind of team because I thought those were the kind of teams that would be able to beat a team like Houston and a team like Golden State because it's so opposite of what they're trying to do. Um, so, you know, it's really tough to say. I mean, I, I think this team is very good, and I hope we get a chance to see you know, us and Houston in a seven-game series, because that means we're probably playing in the Western Conference uh, Finals. Um, and that would be very exciting.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting discussion. Uh, obviously, the Pelicans' ceiling is higher with DeMarcus Cousins, who at this point in time, with his current averages of 25 and 13, he was still ranking the top five in in several different categories, uh, even being out of the NBA at this point for the past You know, whatever it is, 12 to 15 games for for other franchises, for the Pelicans. I think he's been out for uh, 13 games at this point. But with that being said, uh, everything seems to be clicking for our guys, and everything seems to be coming together at the right time. With that being said, the roster does get more difficult as we go forward. We've got two more winnable games before we bring the Wizards to town on Friday, and here is my transition finally to David Grubb. We've got a question from Crescent City Connect, and he's asking about Solomon Hill, and Alvin Gentry was quoted – I think on Friday at shoot around uh, at practice, uh, maybe before the, the Spurs game, or maybe it was over the weekend when he said that essentially Solomon Hill wasn't going to make this long road trip. These three games that the Pelicans have upcoming, but he did leave the door open to the possibility that Solomon Hill could appear on Friday night at home against the Washington Wizards. Do you see that as a possibility?
3: Um, if he does, I think it'll it'll be really similar to how Rondo was eased in. Uh, you know, the severe limits restriction just to see what he can do. I mean, Otto Porter, uh, you know, you know, uh, is is a tough wing, and so is uh, you know having to guard maybe possibly Bradley Beal on switches. So I, I don't think they want to put him out there too long. You just want to gauge his fitness, see if he can move. Um, if he does play again, you don't have to rush him right now. That's that's the great thing about um guys stepping up is that you don't have you want to have him at his best as you go into the playoffs the thing you will need him because you are playing 20 games in 27 days essentially so you're going to need him to take up some of those minutes but at this early stage i think the pelicans should take it take it slow find out what you have with him and then put him in positions where he can be successful and
0: here's another interesting uh one kevin Uh, Let's see who asked this question. I didn't write it down before I get to it. Uh, I want to make sure that I have everybody credited for this. Okay, it's Hunter uh, at Woe It's Hunter. And he asked an interesting question. I'll bring up some of the numbers. Who is the better player, the 2017 18 version of Darius Miller or the 2014 15 version of Quincy Pondexter? And some of Quincy's numbers uh, obviously can't be categorized because he was such a Uh, an effective team leader and communicator on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't have the numbers in front of me about how the team improved uh, with his on-off numbers at that time. But I do have the numbers that he was shooting over 43% from three in his time with the Pelicans. I think it was 26 games. And uh, that was on four shots per game. Plus, he scored in double digits nine of his last 11 games with the Pelicans before the playoffs. And one of the more crucial ones was a victory over the Golden State Warriors, where he scored 20. Obviously, Darius Miller has been one of the Pelicans' most effective shooters. He's been coming off the bench, but he's been shooting four and a half times uh, per game, especially in the month of February. His numbers are back up to 44% from three. Kevin, who is the better player?
2: Well, that's an interesting question. I I think that Darius Miller will be a better player than Quincy Pondexter. You know, say Quincy didn't get hurt, right? I think Quincy was playing at his ceiling at that point whereas I think Darius Miller still can step it up a notch and become a better player. And I think Darius Miller will be a better player than Quincy was during that playoff stretch. But right now, I would have to go with Quincy Pondexter being the better player for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, what you just said is uh, his defensive ability and also his, um, I, I feel like we see a lot where, where Darius will pump fake, get a guy off his feet, and drive, and instead of taking a good-looking shot, he'll pass up a shot for a a play, you know, a pass that doesn't get us anything. Um, he's he just still is a little bit hesitant. He still can be a little bit of a deer in headlights sometimes. And I think Quincy Pondexter would always make the right and the smart play. And I think that's the only thing that's separating them two right now, really, aside from um, Quincy just being naturally a little bit better of a defender, also. But I think Darius will get to that point. And I think Darius, you know, has shown throughout a couple of years now that he's, uh, you know, with his years in Europe, that he is a better jump shooter than Condexter was over his career. And I think that will maintain and that will stay. And that'll be something that carries him. And we also have seen him improve so much this season in terms of uh, playmaking and just on ball defense. So I think um, he's going to be. Uh, A better player, but I also feel like he's not, he doesn't have as much weight on his shoulders as Quincy did either. I felt like Quincy was, with that roster, with where they were at the time, you didn't have that dominant Drew Holiday that you had, that we have now. Anthony Davis was incredible, but he wasn't as well-rounded as he is now. Um, So I think Pondexter had a lot more on his shoulders um, than, than Darius does right now, but I think Darius is solid and is very good and will be great going forward um i just think that if you took them if you measured those two players together that Quincy would edge him out a little bit
0: I agree. Let's move on to a question by Clint white. This is for you grub. He says left field. Has there possibly been some addition by subtraction with the trade away of Dante Cunningham? His play this season was so lackluster, but he always ended up with minutes basically due to his positional versatility and past contributions. Uh, just to continue on to those comments, obviously Dante did have a heavy workload, albeit out of position. Sometimes he had to give some minutes at the four and also at the five with check Diallo, not being a contributor early on, uh, uh, obviously, you've got Emeka Okafor now in the fold. He was not in the fold when Dante Cunningham last played on February 3rd with the Minnesota Timberwolves. So he was forced to uh, to play out of position, forced to give a lot of minutes at the three where he was beaten by uh, smaller, quicker wing players. Uh, but at this point, his last game with the Pelicans, like I just said, February 3rd against the Timberwolves was a loss. So i this current eight-game winning streak, Dante Cunningham has not been involved in any part of it. Obviously, we can never anticipate the, the leap that Sheck would make, uh, the contributions Emeka Okafor has made. So qualify this. I think this is very similar to that boogie question. It's not that the Pelicans are better. It's that they're different. But to you, David Grubb, do you think that the Pelicans are better not having Dante Cunningham on the floor?
3: Well, I thought that before the season, I thought Dante had peaked um, in his development as a player. <clears throat> and I didn't think that he could provide the shooting as a stretch four that the Pelicans needed. Even um, if he was forced to play out of position, sometimes as a small forward and as a, a center, you just didn't see him, you know, uh, getting the transition points that he was getting last year. Uh, it seemed like he was a bit lost at times uh, on the floor, both offensively and defensively. So, you know, I, I just don't think Dante was bringing to the table what he could anymore. And you're talking about a guy with many more miles on him than um, Jack Diallo or even um, Miritich. So it's it's a little bit, it's, you know, again, when you're equating these things, it's it's hard to talk about people's roles when they've changed so much, when the team's uh, focus has changed so much over the course of the year. It's the same with the Darius discussion versus Quincy. Darius has been here all season long. Quincy came in in the, in the heat of a playoff race and was expected to do certain things. And as a veteran, it was easy err for him to slide in and do those things. So um, I just think it's really hard to, to say what would have happened if Uh, When it comes to these types of things, though, I was never for bringing Dante back. But this was a team in desperate need of of players at the time. He was somebody they knew, and he would play at the price that they had available. So uh, outside of that, I mean, what were the options for the Pelicans at that time? Dante seemed to be their best option of what was available to them. So, I mean, you don't get again, you don't get to this. You don't get Miritich. You don't get these things unless Dante is there for them to contribute to where they were at that point in the season. So you just kind of have to let things play out and judge them for what they are, not what they could have been.
0: All right. Kevin's got about 10 more minutes and then we're going to let him go. So we're going to ask him another question uh, before we bounce out of here and maybe talk a little bit with Grub about Rajan Rondo. Kevin, uh, this question is from MC Tooman. He says, so what is the deal with instant grits? Is he available? Still time to get on playoff ra- roster? Are there bad vibes with the team? This is the question. I'm going to add a little bit more to it. Uh, there's no bad vibes. Obviously, it was a, a, a bit of a positional. Uh, I don't know, dissonance at that time where the Pelicans needed an on-ball point guard at the time with Drew Holiday kind of struggling. Rajon Rondo had his... uh had his core muscles strain or tear at the time so they needed Jameer Nelson Jordan Crawford didn't fit what they needed at that specific time they had five injuries so they needed somebody to go and he was the only non-guaranteed contract at the time his guarantee was previously in July but it got pushed into November an uh, in agreement he made with the team it's one of those strange uh, mid-season two-year deals that the Pelicans have now signed with Emeka Okafor of course there's still time for him to be on the playoff roster I wouldn't think there'd be any bad vibes it seemed positive on both sides and of course he is still a available here's my question to you kevin the the guy manning that position right now is walter lemon jr and we just posted an article the other night on the about why jordan crawford would be more valuable in that position he's not a developmental type player he's pretty much just a band-aid at this point that could help the pelicans get a couple more points off the bench we don't even know what he would look like defensively with this new roster argue why you think jordan crawford would be more valuable to the pelicans than walter lemon jr
2: Look, I I, I like uh, Jordan Crawford a lot. Um, you know, he was a fun player last year. He could definitely get hot and light up the scoreboard, and he, he showed some playmaking ability. Obviously, when he was cast to t- tasked with running the offense, he faltered early on in the season. But also, everybody was sort of faltering early on in the season, so it's hard to really judge. Um, you know if he would have figured it out, if he would have fit into a role better. And like you said, you know, the team decided we needed more of a traditional point guard to to step up at that point. Drew hadn't really taken the reins yet. He was struggling. Um, So, you know, we don't know what could have been. I don't, if we're comparing him to Walter Lemon Jr., I would rather have, uh, I would rather have instant grits, but I think that neither is really the answer, and maybe maybe Walter Lemon could be the answer. We just haven't seen enough of him yet, but I feel like we just need another bigger perimeter defender that can also make plays, and I think one of the problem. I mean, scoring is obviously not a problem for this team, and that's what you're getting with Crawford. You're getting a ton of scoring, so well, I think he's a, a very good player that's capable of that. That's not really what we need right now. I feel like he would be a better fit for other teams that need a, more of a bench score. Um, I think what we need still is another bench perimeter defender playmaker. And maybe if Solomon Hill comes back, you get another perimeter defender, but we still are missing like sort of another playmaker as well. Um, so that would be the kind of guy I'm looking for. Now, if, if they brought Crawford in, I would be happy just because I like him and I like watching him play. He's fun. He can get hot and get exciting. You know, he, you know, nothing's better than when a guy's just, just irrational confidence and nailing threes from all over the place and driving to the hoop. He's been he was really good at finishing around the rim, which is sort of not talked about a lot. I mean, he had really great handles around the rim. He had he was uh he had a he had some great layups and floaters and things like that. Um, So he brings a lot to the table, and I would be happy to see him here. But if if I were making the moves as the GM, if I was trying to find somebody, that's not the type of player I would be looking for at the moment.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll let Grub expand on that if you want to. Uh, 14 points per game, over 48%, and 39% from three. uh, True shooting percentage, over 56% uh percent and like you said he did have a, a balanced all-around game he was a great passer able to penetrate uh somehow find a way to finish uh he kind of uh he he was one of the first guys on the Pelicans roster to really find a chemistry with Anthony Davis on those electrifying alley oops plays that we've been spoiled with all season long. Of course and marcus Cousins uh developed chemistry with him after that point and then Rajan Rondo this season has been very effective at it. It seems like everybody's been throwing him alley oops this season. Group, do you want to see Jordan Crawford back?
3: No, I I agree with Kevin that it's just not the need right now, Uh, you know, especially since DeAndre Liggins has fallen, you know, pretty much out of the rotation. um, They do need perimeter defense. That's the biggest area at at this point. Um, It's just that, you know, those moments when you can't get to bigger. um, Like we had, there was a struggle with um, Giannis Adekumpo until Drew had to kind of take him on just because they didn't have the physicality at that position. Um, If you're going to play against Houston, those are long threes and fours. If you're going to play against Golden State, again, you're dealing with Kevin Durant, you're dealing with Draymond Green, guys who are very long and rangy. Uh, The Pelicans just don't have enough of those at the wing position. So, yeah, I love Jordan Crawford. He was great in the locker room, and he's he's incredibly fun to watch. But for this team and its aspirations this year, um, I don't think he'd be the right fit at this point.
0: All right, you guys, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, Kevin Berrios has got to run. We had a couple of scheduling conflicts. Sorry to Ali Cosell, our editor-in-chief, who we weren't able to have on today. We're going to reschedule and we're going to talk with him tomorrow. Uh, thank you so much for uh, to Grub for jumping in here last second. I texted him probably about 10 minutes before we went live. So uh, right off the cuff, this guy doesn't need notes. He doesn't need prep time. He can just dive right on in. Very impressive. And thank you so much to you, David, for giving us your time.
3: Hey, always. You know, um, I enjoy it. Uh, talk to you guys anytime
0: all right. And of course, we've got Kevin Berrios. We're not going to take him for granted. If you like the show, remember to go on iTunes, rate us with five stars today or through your Apple podcast app. And remember, you guys determine how often we're going to do this. You want more episodes? We need more ratings. So more downloads, more retweets, anything you guys can do to help. You've already done so much. We really appreciate uh, our, our listener fan base, you guys who who download each and every episode and listen. All the mailbag questions. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to do that. Really interesting stuff uh, this week. Kevin before we let you go, I know you've got to run off to work. Is there anything you want to plug any uh, important topics we didn't touch on that you really want to address or want to float that uh, are teased potentially that we could talk about with Ali tomorrow?
2: Um, I I think uh, I don't have anything necessarily that I'm about to start working on. I mean, I might be looking into that soon, Um, but I think one thing that we all need to start looking at and paying attention to is just how effective drew holiday has been in post-up situations and around the room. You know, it's, uh, there's been I saw a few people tweeting it about it today, and it's something that I think all of us. I remember sitting with Grub at games before, or just talking, you know, mm-hmm. in private messages or back and forth on Twitter. It's something that we've all been asking for is more post ups from Drew Holiday, and we're starting to get them. And um, you know, it's it's fun to watch, and he's he's just abusing smaller guards down low, and it's a big weapon going forward for us. And I'm glad, you know, that that it's there and it's something that he can make plays out of or he can uh, get to the rim. So it's, uh, it's been fun to watch that.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely have some more time with Ali to talk Drew Holiday and his, his rise. None of us could have predicted at how well he's playing. He's potentially an all-NBA defense candidate at this point, as well as a most improved player. I know that's something that David Grubb is pushing as well, so we'll definitely go a bit harder on Drew tomorrow, as well as the impact that Rajon Rondo has been making. He's gotten uh, gotten a lot of flack recently, uh, to quote Jake Madison, on his level of play. And if you look at his on-court, off-court numbers, I think they're a bit uh, deceiving, and we're going dive a bit deeper into that and show how he's uh, not only playing well for the Pelicans this month, but he's also leading them, setting the tone offensively. As you can see in the first half, uh, the Pelicans are the best scoring team in the NBA and they drop off to uh, a little bit closer to the middle but they have been improving they were uh i want to say 23rd and 25th respectively during the demarcus cousins time they are now 15th and 19th so the pelicans are playing better in the third and fourth quarter and we'll dive deeper into that those topics and many more for now i am preston ellis your host here at the bird calls thank you guys so much for listening we've got two more contests coming up this week against the clippers and uh i'm searching for it the kings the kings thank you so hopefully we can rattle off two more wins and make this 10 straight uh for now we'll talk to you guys soon and let's go Pels. You have been listening to The Bird Calls. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, do us one more favor. Go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate our podcast today.